SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, your home for G5 football, your home for AAC football. And we are back with another episode. Dan Morrison is with me as usual. I am Joe Roback. We are going to talk about a couple things today. Uh, we are continuing like we have done in the past, our team previews. Normally we do our position previews as well. However, we are going to skip that for this week. And we're going to talk about something that was, as we record today on July 1st, uh, very influential in the college football world. And that is the name, image, and likeness uh, policy or rule or whatever you want to call it. The NCAA losing control, essentially, of whatever they want to keep calling an amateur. And uh, so let's just dive right into that just because there's going to be a lot to talk about. So NIL... um, for those who don't know, athletes are now able to accept endorsements. They're ha- they can have partnerships with various companies and they can get paid for all those things. So we saw, I think the first one that we can just dive right into is we saw Derek King and Mackenzie Milton as it's related to the AAC, you know, King coming mm-hmm. from Houston, Milton coming from UCF. They're obviously now Kings at Miami, Milton's mm-hmm. at Florida State. They announced a partnership uh, creating their own company, I think, essentially. Uh, and it sounds like Milton's going to release some NFTs and King has his own brand, his own clothing line and whatnot. And uh, I think it was kind of cool, at least for me, to see that two AAC guys, because they're always going to be AAC guys, yeah. uh, starting the wa- the wave, really. Yeah, that uh, it's called Dreamfield. A lot of guys from the state of Florida, uh, Miami, Florida State, UCF rosters are already a part of it. I mix. I'd expect it to grow because, like it, like you mentioned, uh, the NFTs for Milton, the merch for King. These are things you can launch to them if you're a player. You can also kind of set a uh, an appearance fee for yourself there, an hourly appearance fee. Milton and King both list themselves at two grand an hour. Matt Corral, the old Miss quarterback, was at ten grand an hour. Those guys as long as like thirty bucks though. Uh, on there, uh, you got a lot of guys, Sam Jackson, UCF linemen's there, a couple of guys from the defense. Uh, so I think that's a really good place to start. First off is at least the intentions in a good spot. And it gives King and Milton both a career path for immediately once they graduate, if they don't want to go to the next level too. So I think that's a great place to get started with NIL in terms of if you're a player. Yeah, it's going to be definitely interesting to see where this goes this is just, you know, we were talking about this before the episode began, but this is the obviously the tip of the iceberg. We're just getting mm-hmm. started. Today was really crazy. And like I said, I, I thought it was going to be crazier, but it was still a crazy mm-hmm. day. Yeah, yeah. You know what I was surprised with today was Yoke Gaming. Uh, did you hear about them before today? Because I hadn't. Uh, there was a lot of, like, I had never heard of a lot of these places yeah. before. Yeah, Yoke Gaming signed a lot of, a lot of, of college athletes today. And basically what they are, they are is a way to play video games, you know, online with your favorite athletes. I think that's again, a really cool way for an athlete to basically when they're just winding down and relaxing, just to also make a couple bucks. It's not a big money maker for anyone, but it's a fun thing that they get to do now that they couldn't before. And I think that's really more about what it is now. It's, it's opportunities for athletes that they never had in the past. And there's no good reason why they never had them in the past. 
I've yet to hear a good argument against NIL specifically because it's not money out of any university's pocket. It really isn't. It's not money out of the NCAA's pocket. The fact that it was being controlled was frankly ridiculous. Uh, there's the Marshall lineman who announced that he's going to start touring uh, with his music and that he couldn't when he was a before NIL, I should say. He couldn't do that, which to me is ridiculous that they're saying, no, you can't make money off your music because you're a football player also. No, that's just it's just stupid. It's, you know, there's the UCF kicker a few years back who had to quit football because he monetized his YouTube channel. That's all these are opportunities players have. No, it's not boosters buying kids. Don't get me wrong. Some boosters might try, but here's the secret. They already do that. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. uh, that's not going away. I think that, yeah. uh, well, there's a couple of things. One, that first thing that I want to dive into is, um, it's obviously very exciting. Uh, the one thing that obviously came to many people's minds is EA sports, the college football game. And then with yoke gaming, I think something that would be, uh, would have been fun right now, but obviously in the future we'll, we'll do it is like right now I would love to play with Mackenzie Milton or DR King in college football. If they play that, I don't, you know, not mm-hmm. everybody plays that game, but you say that they do, that would be so much fun to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you, I, would you insist on being Houston to play with? Oh, absolutely. Kane? I would be 20. What would it be? 2016 Houston. Uh, when DR King had 50 plus touchdowns yeah. and I, I would, I would try to destroy DR King with, <laughs> with DR King. Yeah. And it, yeah. same thing with 2017 UCF. I would try to destroy Mackenzie Milton with so, Mackenzie Milton. So you wouldn't go and bring like 2017 USF in and try to beat him with, uh, Quentin Flowers instead? No, no. Okay. No, I, no, one, you, one, I've never. Oh, okay. You got me with Quentin Flowers. That's like the only USF team that I would use. Plus, for the record, we're gonna, we're going to say this as many times as, as we can. If you're playing, uh, I guess if you're playing a game one on one, use whatever team you want. I don't necessarily yeah. care. Uh, but if you're starting a dynasty and you're using a team that's not a one or a two star, you're not playing dynasty right. Because if you start with I Clemson think, and, and you just win national championships, you don't actually do it. You're not actually doing anything. Well, yeah, that's what you do if you're a Clemson fan and you want to play with your team in the game. You and you better be setting that to a pretty difficult level. Right. But yeah, you, you got to play with the team you root for, and yeah, you got to find a couple. of real bad teams to build up but that's the way to go yeah hey if this, if we uh if we reach a point and this podcast is still going on uh at, at the point that the game comes out uh, we're gonna have to get a few games in here yeah. maybe get it as a weekly thing so yeah well not to get too much information for everyone about me but i went to my mom's house recently and found my old ps2 and ncaa football 08 where you can play with FCS yes yes <laughs> Uh, does that okay does that one have like the mini games where you do like rushing attack and mm-hmm. the option and like attack or like whatever? summer pra- yeah like summer practice where you yeah. like defend the option you can build guys uh hope they bring like that, that back and you can have multiple teams in one dynasty switch out an fcs team for uh whatever team it's the one with create a school oh it's so much better <laughs> oh yes great love it uh well, that's, that's yeah, obviously another topic for another day, but obviously it pl- applies here. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is I thought this was really interesting. So Mike Renner, who is the, he's an NFL draft guy for pro football focus. Mm-hmm. He made a quote today saying, and normally, so here's the thing. PFF has been saying a lot of just like, I don't know, really, I don't really dumb things, you know, the way they do. They're like hot takes and like, I'm 
there's certain guys on there that I like following and paying attention to. Um, one of them, Seth Galena, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he's basically said that Spencer Rattler was the best athlete that Lincoln Riley has coached. And I was like, did the, no. I don't know. That one was, or there That's was like, okay, I should take it back. He said one can make an argument. And uh-huh. I was like, well, I mean, so I guess technically. his language a little bit. Right. So I'm like, okay, his way in. whatever. But then um, they had, I don't remember who else was earlier. They were talking about how they said a healthy DR King means that there could be a chance for an upset over Alabama. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, it's like if you're gonna say something just can you just, just please say, say it. it don't be yeah. like oh well it, it's like well i i could technically say that major applewhite's a better head coach than nick saban i could say that hypothetically like, in a certain universe where i said that, said, <laughs> you know. right it was just like uh yeah, it, it just the miami, the miami over alabama thing you said that's not even like that crazy a thing to say you know no, it's, it's not the craziest thing you could have said, but like also no. it's like, well, what are you actually, it's like saying something, but also not at the same time. Yeah. And I don't know. It, 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 yeah. It's looking for a way out of being the guy who said that, but also getting the credit when it comes up. Right. It's like, if it happens, it's like, Oh, I said that. It's like, no, you said it could happen. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. He didn't predict Spen- anything. Spencer Rattler might be the best. Anyways. So Mike Renner, who's their NFL draft guy, does he does a really good job, puts out a draft guide every year and very mm-hmm. detailed guy. Um, yeah, just very, very um, knowledgeable about the game. He made a quote today saying that he thought that kids were going to chase playing time now more than ever. And he thought that that would mean that not as many kids are going to choose uh, a power five school because they can still play and get paid somewhere mm-hmm. else. I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. I think there's a level to it. I think it's going to be a uh, kid by kid in terms of their perspective, because if say I'm a big recruit in the state of Florida and I can go to any school in the state of Florida, let's just limit it to that like bubble for the sake of what we're doing. Now, maybe I say I can go to Florida or Florida State, maybe be on the bench for a couple years while I develop behind really talented guys. And then my earning potential is exorbitantly more than if I was at, say, UCF, USF, FAU, one of the smaller schools in terms of fan base size in the state. Mm -hmm. But maybe if I go to USF, I can get on the field as a sophomore and have that kind of like three years worth of earning potential where people care about me and just have a little bit longer period. So it's going to come down to what the kid feels that, is best for them in terms of that sort of thing. And I think that's really not significantly different than what we see now in terms of how people get playing time. Some guys go, no, I don't mind waiting for that uh, bigger, you know, bigger, bolder opportunity. Some guys go, I kind of want to play now. Uh, You just look at all the transfers that come into the American from the power five. Those are guys who said, I'm going to go to the power five. And they go, I kind of want to play. Right. You know, I think it's going to be something very similar in terms of some guys have that mentality. Others don't, I don't think it necessarily changes anything. I think you, other... you don't think that changes kids decisions coming out of high school. I, some kids might have their, uh, their decision making affected a little bit by it. I think you might see it more like, do I want to go to ECU or do I want to go to say temple? Well, temples in a city, they might have, a little bit more access to things, but ECU's got a little bit of a bigger fan base. You might think about some of those things a little bit more in decision-making, but I don't think that, no, I, I don't think it's going to be that significant a difference in terms of a lot of like 
four and five star guys who all of a sudden want to uh, play at the G five level now. So do you think that um, let's use, let's use Houston, for example, because Houston's a big, big city, obviously. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people, a lot of opportunities in the city of Houston. If a Mm -hmm. kid is choosing between them and trying to think of what's like a lower, like, utah or like an iowa state what about or how about we change this up smu or tcu basically the same metro area yeah perfect yeah perfect so like in that case like well if i guess so in that case to me because smu's in dallas and tcu's in fort worth but it's like one metro area it's like st paul uh, well okay so then that one's a little tougher i think so it would i i still think kids would go to tcu over smu wouldn't you think I think sometimes, but I think there's going to be that layer of kid who goes, who maybe hears the pitch. Well, you can be like one of the face of college sports in the city of Dallas. You can come and be a wide receiver at SMU. We're going to put up a thousand yards a year because that's what we do with our wide receivers. Here. And they go, Ooh, that yeah. does sound good. Whereas TCU, you've got Gary Patterson who might say to a linebacker or a defensive end, you're going to be the face of the best defense in the big 12, whether or not that's still true anymore. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. That's what he's going to tell them, you know, and you can own Fort Worth and he'll probably include Dallas in that pitch too. But so I think, again, it's going to come down to the guys who go, Oh man, TCU's roster has these guys. SMU has these guys. Where do I best fit into best monetize? Is it better to make a lot in a short period down the road or maybe a little into a growing amount over a longer period of time? Yeah. So I think it's just the individual kids will have different decisions to make like that. And I'm struggling with, cause like I see, I mean, this is very drastic, but I'm just going to use it be, just cause it, it works in the example. And I'm not comparing these two teams at all, but whatever. Mm-hmm. So Houston and Alabama, just cause I want to compare those two. So you have Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which mm-hmm. is like, if, if the university of Alabama wasn't good at football, no one would know that about Tuscaloosa at all, you know, mm-hmm. about Houston from like literally everything else. That's a massive city. So like to, to me, I'm right now, I don't see why there's part of me that's like, well, it's going to be the same because like a five-star kid isn't going to be like, well, I'm going to go to Houston because there's more people in Houston, more opportunities for me because I want to still compete at a high level and get to the NFL. But then there's also this part of me that like, I feel like even in social media, people are either on one side, they're like, well, no, they're going to still pick the better program because this yeah. doesn't really matter. And then there's the people who are like, oh, well, these kids are selfish and only want money, so yeah. they're just going to chase the money. But, and so that means they're going to pick Houston over Alabama? Like, I don't I don't know. No, they're not going to pick Houston over Alabama because Alabama is still going to be worth more money in terms of NIL. You have to think about going to Houston like this. You're not the top football team if you play for the Houston, Houston Cougars. The Houston Texans are the top football team in your city, and they just are going That's to be true. that way. Uh, you're also in the state of Texas where there is a lot of power five competition for fans to root for a lot. How many people in the city of Houston are actually Texas Longhorns fans or Texas A&M Aggies fans, or, you know, name the power five school, a significant portion, the same way in Orlando, there's going to be a lot of Gators and Knowles in the state of Alabama. You either root for Alabama or you root for Auburn and you do so passionately. And when you go to Alabama, you know you're going to be on national TV every week and be in the top five every single year, which means you've got a pretty big national fan base and a lot of people know you across the country. Whereas, you know, how many fans of a school in the Big Ten can name the quarterback at Tulsa? Not many. No. How many people who root for someone in 
the Big Ten can name the quarterback at Alabama. Pretty much anyone who really watches football. True. So I, I think that's the reality is, yeah, there might be uh, less time at a school like Alabama. It's too big in that case and for you to say no, but you still might get there and be like, well, I still actually do want to play the game that I'm supposed to be going here for. Yeah, I just I can't decide which way I lean with that. Just because I agree with you that like it's still like Alabama is still Alabama. There's no doubt about that. However, I I do think that there is something to like these schools aren't the schools aren't paying the kids, so they can get an endorsement from literally anywhere. So like in that regard, it doesn't matter what school you go to. No, I don't think any school in the country is benefiting better from this than Notre Dame is, because everyone in New York City. And everyone in New England and all these made it's Notre Dame. That's who they care about there. So it doesn't matter that Indiana is a little bit small in terms of that stuff because it's a national brand. It's always going to have that national recognition. Right. Uh, but no, truly, I don't think that NIL changes the face of recruiting in any significant way, shape, or form. I think on a small scale within each conference, it's going to show some adjustment based on how coaches pitch it. Like, I think that UCF is making a very hard pitch on it. I think they're in a good position to benefit from it, just where they are geographically. There's no NFL team in Orlando. They are, in many ways, a show, a big alumni base. So they're going to go after it hard. School like, say, I hate to bag our Dragon Temple, but they're not going to have as much success because they have to deal with an NFL team. They're not as big of an alumni base, things like that. Uh, That'll affect things within, like, the American when you're a pretty equal program anyways. But does that mean a guy chooses to go to Cincinnati over Ohio State because they might have a better chance of monetizing? Well, maybe a low four-star, but not enough where you're actually going to see a significant shift in power. I think that the biggest uh, – well, let me ask you this real quick. So do, I've, I've seen, like, every coach that I've seen that's talked about this or, like, when you get a statement from them, everybody's been in support, which obviously yeah. you'd be stupid – to go against it, but have you yeah. seen anybody that Dabble was not? Dabble has not been in support of this. Okay, not... to be to be fair for Dabble, for those who don't remember, Dabble was talking about if like the schools paid players. He wasn't well, talking about endorsement. Dabble pays players. What's the difference? Well, right, right, <laughs> and I and I know, and so everybody was getting on him obviously for that because you know that's what we do. And the quote was from yeah. 2019, and it's 2021. I, I, I so. know. I'm just giving a hard time. No, there's. Here's the thing is it literally takes zero effort for a football coach to be like, I support you. Just make sure you do it through the compliance department so that everything's nice and clean. We don't have to worry about it. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. I think every coach should be pitching NIL as hard as they possibly can. You should be selling. This is why my school is the perfect school for it every single time. Uh, But no, I have not seen uh, in the past like couple months, any coach come out actively against it. Some coaches have been a little bit more publicly for it, but no one who's actively against NIL. Yeah, shout out to the compliance departments who have a nightmare on their hands. Not necessarily because this is a bad thing. I think it's obviously a very yeah. good thing for college football, but I do not envy the people that have to decide, is this okay? Is this not? Is this okay? Is it like there's so yeah, Each school is setting its own rules, panic, trying to figure out what's the right way to do this. Well then, uh, so let me let me go into this then. So we talked about the gap and how you th- you said you think that it's going to stay pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe the, a slight shift, but not much. Do you think? Okay, so the gap that I am curious to watch the most is the top 
tiered group of five teams. So the UCFs, the Cincinnati's, those teams that, you know, Boise States, those kind of teams, the gap between them and like those lower to mid power five teams. Do you think that gap changes at all? Yes, but again, I'm going to say it's depending on the schools themselves. Well, wait, so I like think... if you're go- like Cincinnati, so I just want to bring up a specific scenario because we can talk about generalizations all the time, but like Cincinnati versus like going to Cincinnati, Ohio versus going to Ames, Iowa to play at Iowa State. Like, yeah, I absolutely think that Cincinnati's, if you're choosing between Cincinnati and Ames, Iowa State, you're choosing between Cincinnati and Indiana or Purdue. I think that that's a time where you look harder at Cincinnati because it's in a city. They've got a good fan base in that city. They're winning a lot, which means you'll be, you know, given a lot of recognition. And now, what does that put them past Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan? No, it doesn't. But there's very few things that would. But put them past Illinois? Sure. I absolutely, for a guy who's going, who may have in the past chosen to play at Indiana or one of those types of Big Ten schools just because they wanted to say they played in the Big Ten, Maybe for those guys, it's enough to change it. Again, I hate to generalize, but every single person's different, and we're talking about the mindset of a 17-year-old. You know, like this is not necessarily the most thought out. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying recruits don't take their time and think about their decision, but what's important to you when you're 17 is different than when you're 22, and it's different than you're 32. It just your priorities change over the course of your life. And when you're, uh, when you're a teenager, you know, it's less about which school has maybe the best academic reputation for some people. And that doesn't mean that they're a, a bad student or don't care about school. It means that they'd rather go to a school where there's a little bit of fun that can be had. That's how I was. I wanted to go to a school where there it wasn't going to be all studying. You know, I wanted to go to a bigger school where there'd be a, a sports scene on campus and things like that. Uh, you know, plenty of guys are going to look at it the same way and go, well, yeah, my NIL opportunity is pretty good there, but but I have fun. I don't think so. And that's right. going to be the decision, you know? So I, I think getting into the mind and saying recruits will now do this versus that's just, it's not practical. Okay. So I just thought about this. How do you think this affects the coaching carousel? Do you think coaches will, will now look at this as this job is uh, more of maybe not a headache, but it's going to be more work because I have to monitor all of these opportunities. How do you think that affects coaching decisions? I think they're going to go to their athletic director and ask to hire one or two more people for the compliance department. And that's how they're going to handle it for the most part. I think they're going to say, Hey, this is a great thing I can use in my recruiting pitch now too. Uh, Maybe even if they negative recruit other schools and say, Oh, you know, those guys, they hate NIL. They won't help you a bit over there. Look at all the th- ways we'll help you over here. Yeah. I think if you're a smart coach, you're leaning into it and maybe just stocking up on compliance people that you may have not had in the past. I don't, you, think, it's, I don't think it changes what – I don't think you're going to have that rash of coaches retiring because they just can't handle the new world. Do you think it affects – so, like, say that they're looking at moving schools or, like, a coach gets fired and they're trying to hire – do you think like those coaches that are looking for new opportunities, how, how does that affect their decision with where they choose to go next? Yeah. I mean, to an extent, if you're a co- say you're an up and coming coach, you can kind of choose what power five job you want to take in a cycle. You probably do take some consideration into how, I don't think that you're looking for a school that doesn't have NIL as a good opportunity for your players because 
I do think when you're recruiting in your conference, people are going to say, um, let's say you take the uh, Texas Tech job. Let's say that opens up next year. Oh, West Texas isn't a great TV market. It's pretty spread out, and there's other more popular Big 12 teams in the state. You might go, that's not a great opportunity for NIL for my kids. No, it's still a Power 5 job. It's still in Texas, still you know, all these other good things. But maybe I wait for, I don't know, UCLA to open up where I can pitch it a little bit better. Maybe certain coaches think that way. Other coaches are going to be much more, I'm just going to sell what I have to sell there. I'm going to look at the program as a whole. If it's a healthy program, then the NIL will be healthy too. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. There's so many things that, like like I said, we're recording today on July 1st. So it's literally not, we're not even a day into this. We're like, we're, yeah, we're not a full day into it. And we're still seeing so many yeah. things happen and there's oh, so many yeah. questions. And so much of this is guesswork. You yes. know, this is what we expect. Like I said, I don't expect a coach to say no to a head coaching opportunity just because, oh, the NIL is not great or they're not comfortable with NIL now. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, if you can pick and choose what school you go to, you might say, well, hey, you know, I bet NIL is better at Nebraska than it is at Arkansas. I'm going to choose that job because – it'll be easier to pitch that. Maybe it's a bonus in the pros category. I don't think it's more than that though. Yeah. It's going to be the, yeah, it's so many things. There's so much potential for growth, so much potential for players to cash in on something that their pre their predecessors could not. And mm-hmm. I'm just excited for, I mean, I, I already bought a t-shirt, so I'm excited yeah. for what's going to be. <laughs> Wait, whose t-shirt did you buy? I bought, okay. So there's a, a site called QB takeover and I follow okay. a couple of guys. I've talked to a couple of guys over there. Um, Sean McAvoy and then uh, Quincy Avery is the one that came okay. up with the idea and they released, they had like, I don't know, 15 guys that they had at a camp and they came up with the idea, I guess there. And they came up with some like cartoonish um, designs. So I, I got, I got one coming and uh, we'll, we'll have to wait yeah. and see what. Uh, I had a note. I didn't know if you picked up your new Dylan Gabriel t-shirt yet. Is, I don't know if you saw, but he released DG the brand. It's like TB 12, but for Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, yep. Um, I think I looked into that and I don't think anything's releasing yet. I think it's the fourth. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I, I watched his like little video that he put out about it. I didn't really look into it too deep. There's yeah, a little bit too much a skater. Did you know that? He's kind of got like a skater uh, vibe with most of his stuff. Well, you know, I don't know that I knew that, to be honest. But I can see it with the vibe he puts out there. Yeah, he's got like, he's got like uh, beanies, uh, some masks. Uh, I don't know yeah. if they're, or maybe they're towels. I'm just going to say it's the Hawaiian lifestyle. Uh, you got some fanny packs. Dan, maybe we need to get some fanny packs for this Some show. Dylan Gabriel fanny packs. Yeah, they got some, and then some snapbacks. And then he's got a pretty cool, like, uh, sleeveless T-shirt with mm-hmm. the DG, but it's in, like, the Knights uh, oh, yeah. lettering. Yeah. And that is uh, number 11. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah, I know. I, I bet he does pretty well with it, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. And uh, those are the opportunities. is super passionate, so yeah. I would be surprised if they don't go crazy. You know and those are the opportunities that players weren't allowed to have that absolutely affects the zero one, like zero people other than them, you know, but speaking of the, do you think there's any players in the American that are going to do really well with NIL? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, obviously the first one is we, we agree that Dylan Gabriel is going to, yeah. 
Um, I think that Calvin Austin has a chance to mm-hmm. – he's in Memphis. I think that he has a chance to do really well. Uh, Jalen Robinson maybe, but I don't I don't know how, like, active Jalen Robinson is on, like, social media and whatnot. I, I want to say Jalen Robinson signed up for one of those, you know, gaming or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember which one for sure right now, though. Oh, uh, Ahmad Gardner I think is going to kill it. You know, who I wouldn't be surprised if they do well this year, and I have not looked into it at all yet, but Holton Aylers, four-year starter. He's like that's He started pretty, like a clothing brand with like he, his faith-based thing. He did. That's a very passionate fan base that they've got, and he's like a you know, native to the program. His dad yeah. does the in-stadium uh, play-by-play. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like, I, I can see them being like, this is like the son of the program, kind of like pick him yeah. up or, you know, whatever uh, – yeah, I mean, all the quarterbacks will have their opportunities if they perform. Right. Yeah, I was trying to think about, like, I don't know, Houston hasn't announced. I haven't seen anything for Houston. So I I'm saw interested. here, I've been putting together an article for Underdog Dynasty. Yeah, so whatever the, you have, too, by the way, because I want to look I'm, at all that stuff. I, yeah, I'm halfway through the article, but I just did Houston. The first guy to do anything NIL was Chandler Smith, who announced he's got a merch website. Dude, he's he's pretty famous on TikTok. Yeah, so I'm I'm he was the first one that I noticed. Um, I think it's uh forgetting the uh, Houston beat writer's name. I think it's Joseph Duarte. I'm Joseph Duarte, same. yeah. Duarte. I think that's where I got that. Was that he announced that on Twitter earlier today? Yeah, yeah I follow Chandler on Twitter, and he yeah he announced that. So, uh, so he's he, the first Houston guy I noticed. Yeah, he'll do he'll do really well because he's got like I think half a million followers on TikTok. So. Yeah. Uh, I think he'll do well. I'll be interested to see what he puts out there. Um, I, yeah, when you said that, I was, you know, I King and Milton were obviously not in the conference anymore, but they were. But they're still associated with it. Right. Uh, I really hope that King puts out some red and white colors of his, of his I, merchandise. I've heard that they're doing both uh, the former team and the current team. Okay. Do I dream field? Yeah. Well, the NFTs that Milton's putting out have one from UCF and one from yeah. Florida State, which is cool. So yeah, I, I I've heard that uh, King's doing the same. I assume okay. he is at least. Yeah, I just don't know like if there's anybody besides Gabriel. Um, well, there's a bunch of smaller names from UCF on Dreamfield site that you can you know pay to okay. show up to your like football camp for a couple right. hours or something like that. Uh, here I've like I said I've got I halfway through putting together my rankings for the uh, AACs which teams are going to be the best at it. Uh, let's see, he, Quindell Johnson of Memphis signed with Yoke Gaming. Uh, I didn't see anyone from Cincinnati. Uh, Jimmy Phillips is with FanGage. That's uh, SMU's Jimmy Phillips. FanGage is an online autograph site. Yeah, and that's what about what I have so far for guys. So it's. It's yeah, I think it's going. still very early, and there's a lot of a lot of chance for uh, guys to still do. I mean, it's July 1st, like we said. It's still way early. We're not even a day into everything, and there's plenty of opportunity for other guys to pick up where uh, these guys are leaving off. And there's still room for growth for people who have even done stuff today. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. And like we mentioned, different uh, different compliance departments are telling their players to do different things in terms of patience. Right. Yeah. Cause you don't have to always jump in right away. It's definitely, yeah. uh, definitely a waiting game for some, but at this point, 
this has become an NIL episode. So uh, there's plenty of uh, plenty of things to talk about with that. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, you and I could talk about that all day. There's going to be plenty of discussion once more things come out. Uh, you know, even across the country, a lot of players still haven't said anything about what they're doing. Like there's a small mid- minority of players that did something today. So there's still plenty of room for excitement, plenty of new launches that have yet to happen. So we'll see, mm-hmm. but uh, we're going to move on. We're going to move on to our next team in our team previews. Like you mentioned uh, today, we're talking about Memphis. We talked to them a little bit in the NIL discussion and there's just as much exciting discussion to talk about here because this is a team that I think a lot of people have varying opinions on in terms of how good or how bad they're going to be. You know, last year they went eight and three in Ryan Silverfield's first season. Uh, And to me, and I think you and I have agreed on this, it wasn't exactly a a season that left you thinking, yeah, that was an eight and three team. No, it was not a confidence inspiring team. Uh, They played down to their competition and they played somewhat up to their competition against SMU and UCF. They did not against Cincinnati. They got stomped uh, by Cincinnati. And at, that Cincinnati game was a lot of ways a turning point last season because they, after that U.S. and Navy, Houston Temple, they did not beat those teams down the way they should have. They won those games, but, you know, USF, they beat Navy 10-7. to That is just the worst game I think the AAC had all of last season. It's The offense was not good. It was fine, but it was not the Memphis offense that we we're accustomed to seeing by any means. And the defense was not anything spectacular either, which, you know, they got away in a lot of close games. And I don't know that that happens twice. And I don't know that they'll, I think they're not as good as they were last year to begin with anyways. Well, yeah. And I, I said this in the off season and, you know, I've got some heat for it, but I just, it just didn't feel like Memphis was the same under Silverfield as they were Mike Norvell. And that's not to say that he can't bring them to a different level uh, or bring them to the level that Norvell had them. But that last year was definitely not the same. You know, like yeah. we, t- we talked about this before the running the ball was just bad. For yeah. Them. yeah. And, and in their defense, Kenny Gainwell, who was supposed to be the guy opted out. So you lost that guy that you knew you could lean on and probably were going to guys uh, that you were maybe just, a, you know, like Kalen Watkins uh, and Rodriguez Clark, you know, maybe you go, those were going to be good complimentary pieces, but you weren't ready to lean on them just yet. And you have to go and lean on them. Uh, but yeah, the explosiveness in the running game was not there. Brady White was consistent, but I never felt Brady White was a spectacular quarterback. I thought he was a good quarterback, but he was never, I thought Riley Ferguson was the better quarterback if you want to go through their recent history. Uh, I agree. So, you know, and the offense just, it was not what it needed to be. Again, it was especially the running game where they just were not good. Uh, I want to throw some just rushing game numbers at you. Do you know how many yards rushing they had against Cincinnati as a team? Oh, it was bad, like 60 or something like that. Five. Wait, whoa, 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 five? They had five yards rushing as a team against them. It was more like 40, but you have to subtract sack yardage in college football. So oh, yeah, I forgot, about, I forgot about that. Yeah, so it was five yards against Cincinnati when you account for it the way it's accounted for statistically. I mean, I don't, I don't really feel bad about that because it's Cincinnati. Like, but... Oh, 
after that, though, how many against Navy? I think you told, was that the one you said it was 75? It was. Then 45 against Tulane and 67 against Houston. This was, this is a team that you expect to run for 200, 250 yards a game in recent years. And after the Cincinnati game, they couldn't get above 100 more than against an FCS opponent. I think they hit 100 exact against South Florida. So this was not a team that could run the ball with any consistency and certainly not at the end of the year. And that, by the way, ended up being 80th in the country in rushing yards last year at 145.2 a game. Memphis is 80th in the country. They're behind a school like USF in the conference. Yeah, which is sad because when you think about Patrick Taylor and the Daryl Hendersons that they've had in the past and yeah. the explosiveness that both of them provided in different ways, it's just it's kind of tough to see. Uh, and this is, you know, the staff really liked Dree Clark and they liked what Kylan Watkins do. They also had Asa Martin and Marquavius yeah. Weaver, uh, and they're all back this year. But that's the one thing that I got is, well, our rushing attack's good because we have four guys. I'm like, yeah, but they were all there last year. They didn't do anything. And, yeah, and I, mean, I don't know if it's the O-line. Like, the O-line didn't really get anything going. But and the O-line's way... losing a couple starters going into next year, too. So I don't know why right. you'd be convinced that they can start getting a push that wasn't there last year. Uh, right. I'm not saying they're going to be awful. I just – they're not going to – to me, they're not a contender in the AAC, at least for a conference no. championship. No, they're not. Uh, unless Ryan Silverfield pulls something of a miracle turnaround with the offense – uh, because the defense was the way Memphis's defenses have been recently, which is fine for the American, but not really that good overall. That's what they were again last year. This is the unfortunate reality. And I don't see how they get better on that side of the ball either, to be honest. Losing a couple of key guys on that side, I don't feel like there's a ton replacing them that I truly trust as of right now. Right. Well, and you look at offense – and yeah. Calvin Austin is the best wide receiver in the conference, in my opinion, at least. You could, yeah, argue... you can make a strong, you can make a strong argument that people have said he's the best wide receiver in the conference. Yeah, yeah. it's like him, <laughs> Reggie Roberson, and Jalen Robinson are probably the top three that people will argue. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody else like you could maybe C.J. Johnson from ECU, but yeah, Calvin Austin is a stud. Sean Dykes had his best season last year. Very uh, good tight he, end. Because he finally got – it wasn't him and uh, Joey Magnifico anymore. It was just Sean Dykes. Yeah, he was a uh, Javon yeah. Ivory can be a stud. He's an acrobatic catcher that can make some big plays. I'm but, interested to watch Taj Washington, the USC transfer, come in. Because no, he went, he was he, – he, he left? He's, he was at Memphis, and now he's on USC. No, I thought that it was the other way around. No, he was at Memphis last year, and now he left for USC. Oh man, I got it backwards in my head just now. Yeah, no, yeah. So he okay. So if he would, I I was kind of bummed that he transferred because he was gonna make this. Uh, if you put him with those three guys that I just mentioned, and this is the more probably the best. Uh, they'd probably be I don't know between them and SMU would be tough to pick a number one. But he leaves, and that obviously hurts. Um, they get the Arkansas transfer Shamar Nash coming in. Um, mm-hmm. The only other guy that I'm excited about on the offense is uh, the guard Dylan Parham, and it, it's the only other guy that one like offensive be... lineman does not make a uh, no for sure. But I mean he's game. he's good. He the, it, the nice thing is that he's like six three two ninety five, and they asked him last year to play tackle, 
And That's too he, small for tackle. Yeah, he, he's undersized for a tackle, but he actually did. He held his own, and it was yeah. it was. But he's going back to guard this year, and but the thing is. I don't know. Everybody's really excited about Grant Gannell. Everybody's really excited about Peter Parrish. I, I don't yeah, really know. only play one of them. I, I think it'll be Gannell, and I think it's going to look a lot like Paxton Lynch. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's just what it's going to remind everyone of. At I first, hope at so, because it, last year it was the running game couldn't do anything, so Bray White, bail us out, please. I would rather bail see out. the passing, a passing attack be, yeah. well, we can't run the ball, but we can really throw the ball. And with talent, you have a wide receiver and tight end. Why not? Just throw the ball 80 times a game like Washington State used to and pray for the best. Yeah, I mean, I think they do have to go into next year and – fit to what they're able to do better. Because last year they were trying to do the same thing that they did in 2019, which was be a run first team and use the run to set up your athletes on the outside. And they don't have the ability either on the offensive line or just for running backs to create to still play like that. Now, if you put teams on their heels and make them, you know, throw too many defensive backs on the field to cover you, which I think Memphis has some capability of doing though. Again, it depends on whether or not these quarterbacks work out because we don't know that they're going to work out. I think that's something we really have to point out. We don't know that these quarterbacks are going to work out. They've got a bunch to choose from. That might not always be the best thing. It's better to kind of know who your guy is if possible. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, well, and then I think the thing you brought up too is, so if you flip it to the other side of the ball, that's like you have more concerns on that side of the ball. Outside of Quindell Johnson. So Quindell Johnson can be an All-American. He, he's yeah, that he's good. Really good. Uh, but other other than that, I don't have a ton of guys that I'm super excited about. Morris Joseph's really good. Yeah, he was who I was going to say I like uh, in the front seven, but he's almost the only guy I like in the front seven. Yeah. Yep. You know, and it's uh, they lose Joseph Dorcius. That's that's a huge loss. O'Brien Goodson is gone. TJ Carter's at TCU now. TJ Carter's gone. Uh, you know, the – the cornerback spot opposite of TJ Carter was a disaster last year. And you saw that right away against Arkansas state. And it was just, it never got better from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was not, it was not pretty all season in the secondary really when you comes down to the court, they got burned for big plays several times a game, no matter who they played, it felt like, and you just can't live like that. You need to, so the American conference as a whole is not known for its defense. And we've talked about that in the past, but you need to do a couple of things. You need to force turnovers. And even if you're going to give up yards and points, you need to make them go and earn each first down up and down the field. You can't just give them 40 yards on a chunk play. That was the issue that Memphis had last year. It was the issue UCF had last year. It was the issue that, you know, a bunch of defenses have in a conference is that they couldn't force the turnovers or at least make it a slow bleed instead of just a kind of a guillotine off, off what the defense's head move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will cost you games, especially because, well, frankly, it should have cost them against a team like USF or a Navy or a Temple who, you know, they let those teams play them way too close and they let them hang around way too much if it wasn't for those own other teams' varied issues that they had last year. They would have lost those games. Yeah, but and they didn't deserve any of those wins. the The nice thing for for Memphis is that they have a lot of guys returning, which is which is which is nice. So like, even yeah, though they struggled last year, better than no one returning. Yes, exactly. And so you know, Quindell Johnson's really really good. I, I like him. 
mm-hmm. I think he's the best defensive player in the conference, or at least one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we talked about Morris Joseph. There's a lot to like in his game too. Uh, you get you get JJ Russell, Xavier Collins, and a bunch of guys at, on the second level at linebacker too. And there's some talent. Jacoby Francis is back on the backside. Um, Leandre Thomas is coming back. You, there's guys that are capable of playing really, really well. It's you just know, can you put it all together? They've got a lot of. They've recruited well in recent years. They've got a lot of good athletes. It's just none of them have proven that they're really great defenders after uh, Kendall Johnson. Right. Well, and the one thing that I'll say is, so Mike McIntyre is going to run the defense, which is, I think, uh, at least if you want someone running it, a guy who has the experience of producing some good defenses is someone you want running the show. Again, I think we both can agree that we're talking about the short term, which is this year, and it's we just don't see this year being a good team. Now, you mentioned recruiting. Silverfield did a really good job of recruiting this year. He did a good job of keeping everything mostly together last year. So I think there's talent coming in. It's just that we're saying right now it doesn't feel like this team is going to be a good team. I think it's going to be a team that's capable of beating almost anyone and it's a team that's capable of losing to almost anyone at the same time. And I think that's really just my gut feeling is I think Memphis is going to be a lot of fun to watch, but I think there's going to be a lot of games where you go, well, they just didn't show up today against a team. You gut feeling says they should be the team. And I think there's going to probably be teams where, you know, by mid season you're going, Oh, this team's a lot better than Memphis this year. They should beat them. And then Memphis comes in and smacks them in the face. I think they're very capable of doing that. You know, yeah, I agree. Just... I agree. And let's let's dive right into that schedule because there's plenty to talk about there. And and again, we're gonna probably get a lot of Memphis fans who are, are upset because we they think that we don't like their team. Like I, I, for any of those who have followed me during my time here at Underdog Dynasty, I have been one of the biggest Memphis fans in the last few years. I, they've been really exciting to watch. They just haven't lived up to that standard. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, it is what it is. And I just don't see that same explosiveness in the offense. The defense is not as opportunistic as previous defenses. And it just, that's just is what it is. There's, maybe it's a yeah. transition time and that's just fine. I mean, Houston's been going through a transition time for four or five years. So, yeah. You know, I would say I don't hate him either, but then Obarski missed that kick at the end of the game. So now I'm eh, not in the best mood. To no, I'm, I don't have any grand feelings on Memphis either way either. You know, it's they're a good team in the conference. They've been good for a few years now, but you've got a new coach and it's hard to keep hiring the right coach. Fuente was a really great coach. Norwell was a near perfect coach for them. Maybe Silverfield just isn't. And it is, that's the gut feeling I have is that there's more issues now than when he took over you know, what, 15 months ago, 16 months ago? Right. Maybe a little bit longer now. Yep. My, my math is terrible, but yeah, more like a year and a half ago, whatever. All right, well, let's dive into this because the first game is September 4th against Nichols State. Now, for those who don't didn't pay attention this spring to Nichols State, this is arguably the one of the most interesting seasons that we've ever seen. Oh, yeah, and. I- they, I have it right in front of me, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read these results off to you. And if okay. you were a Nickel State fan, you like through three weeks, they're three and zero with 
the first week they won 87 to three. That's right. 87 to three. It was a casual 87 to three though. Casual. Yes. And then next week they followed up with a 55, nothing win. So, okay. That's great. Week three, they kind of come back to normal and they win 31, 24. And then they face Sam Houston state who did, did they won Houston, the national championship. They won the yeah. national championship. They lost 71 to 17. So week yeah. one, you score 87. Exposed. And then Exposed. week they ain't four, played you nobody. give up 71. They ain't played nobody. So, okay, so that after that, I'm like, okay, well, that was just like, that's, that's a thrilling four games. And usually after that, you're kind of like, okay, well, I guess that's probably the end of the excitement. Nope, they get a week off. And then two weeks later, they beat Incarnate Words 75 to 45. And it, it just like, what is going on? And then their final two games, not as exciting as that, but they lose 43 to 31 to McNeese state or now McNeese, excuse me. And then they lose 52 to 45 to Southeastern Louisiana. Yeah. No, never play a boring game. If you don't have to, Oh my gosh. Never play a 10, seven game against Navy. If you don't have to oh my gosh, just you talk about like, putting up points on the scoreboard and then just like crashing. And then just at, at that point, just saying, you know what? Defense is not important. Yeah, they no, got it, three points through the first two games. And then they just, they just didn't feel the defense for the rest. Okay. And with all that being said, what are the odds they go and win at the Liberty bowl? Right. They're going to have to score 87 points. I think, I think almost none. Yeah. I think so, you can, put that in pain that Memphis wins that game as they should because it's an FCS yep. team. But it would be funny if they gave up like 45 and went yeah, over I'm, an FCS I'm school. okay with a 52-4. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm not. That's no, not the conference needs to look good. Right. The conference needs so, to look good too. So that's the – I think we can agree 1-0. The next game is arguably the most uh, interesting game just because you have a trip to Arkansas State, a trip to Jonesboro, and you face the new head coach, Butch Jones, at – at Arkansas State, and I, I don't know how to feel about this one. I Yeah, I've got very little – I don't know much about Arkansas State is the best way to put this. I know what I think they are, but I also – they could turn around and be something much better than they were last couple of seasons. That's a program that's proven in the past it's capable of building some really good teams. Again, the past couple of years have not been that way, but it's definitely capable – my gut still says Memphis will beat Arkansas State. I just – I can't imagine that they're – that in a first year under Butch Jones that they're ready to beat a team that is as capable – as capable as Memphis is. No. Again, we talked about consistency, but they're certainly capable. Yeah, the fact that it's on the road is probably the most uh, yeah. intriguing part of that. So I think that's definitely a coin flip for me. I think Memphis does win the game, but uh, I'm not going to be surprised. I think Arkansas State's offense is going to be better because Lane Hatcher returns, and they have Corey Rucker and Dahu Green back at wide receiver. I think that's an explosive offense yeah. that could be a problem. Marcel Murray's back and running back too. So I think that's that's a game that's a coin flip for me. Uh, I don't think we have to debate much about the next one. Uh, maybe, maybe we do, but a home game against Mississippi State to me is just an easy loss. I don't have to really talk about it that much. I don't think it's an easy loss. I do think it's a loss. I My issue with this game is I don't think they're going to be able to run at all on Mississippi State's defense. It's just there won't be any push there. They're going to become one-dimensional. 
like I said, we don't know what the quarterback situation is truly going to look like at Memphis. If it's not figured out, then they're going to, well, then they're not going to stop. They're not going to score enough because there's an, the University of Washington found the format on how you want to beat Mike Leach over the years. And it's a replicable format. It's not like it was something that they were doing that was all that special. But I don't know that Memphis's defense is capable of doing that, especially in the secondary. No, they like I said, they have guys, but they don't. I don't know if they have flexibility to do that, the versatility to get that done. So if they're say that they are, well, you have Arkansas State as a for sure win, a seventy percent win, I'd say. Okay, so my gut says my gut says that's a win. I've got it written down as a win, but so in you pencil. you could have them as two and one. I probably have them as one and two at this point. And if they are at one and two, this next game to me is scary. I think UTSA is going to be one of the scariest teams to play in 2021. Yeah, no, they, I don't think a lot of people paid attention to anyone in conference USA last year. Just there's a lot of COVID issues. It was the worst uh, power five con- or power five, group of five conference, maybe outside the Mac, but I'd say, the Mac was probably a little bit better than them last year. It was just not a good year for CUSA. But UTSA took a big step forward and at that same time. So people didn't notice that as much, but they're a lot better than they were a couple of years ago. Uh, that, with that being said, I think there's still a natural talent gap between the two rosters, the games in Memphis. I do think Memphis wins this game, but I think it's going to be close. I do think it'll be close. I think it's going to be like a 31-24 kind of score. And if you want more Conference USA coverage, just uh, scroll back in your feed and you can listen to Eric and Joe on the Underdog Podcast. They do a great job of our Conference USA coverage. They'll be talking about UTSA plenty this year. Yeah, I think that this is a game that scares me for Memphis because if where I think they're going is actually where they go, then this is a loss for me because they have – UTSA has – an explosive passing attack. Sincere McCormick is one of the best mm-hmm. running backs in all of college football. Yep. And their defense is full of playmakers like Rashad Wisdom that are going to make life difficult for Calvin Austin, the Sean Dykes, those guys. Mm-hmm. So I think that this could be, it, it's going to be a close one. I agree, but I, I, I'm, I'm really worried about this game, mm-hmm. which puts them at one and three heading into you know, it's say that they lose. So at this point, we're ranging from three and one to one and three. And, and I think I, that's fair to say that they could be on either end because, again, if they're quarterbacks, they turn around and go, wow, Grant Cannell, maybe there's a reason he wasn't playing at Arizona. And, well, Parrish just isn't ready to be that guy. And after that, we've got freshmen. Then you might be in the spot where you don't have the ability to move the ball on offense because. I don't believe in their offensive line or running game next year. Right. Yep. So I think that say there's two and two, I think that's a realistic, that's maybe more realistic to yeah, think. I could see them splitting the Arkansas state UTSA game in whatever yeah. order. I just, if I had to put a favorite on them right now at the line, I think Memphis is the team that wins those games. Right. And it, it's, it's hard because the conference needs three wins from those games, just because you need to separate yourself from the Sun Belt. You need to separate yourself more from conference USA, which you already are. And then you need, you have an opportunity to beat an SEC team, but like it's, there's no way they go four and oh, there's just no way. 
No, I don't think so either. But you're right. It is important for the conference as it's trying to distinguish itself as the obvious premier one that a school like Memphis, which has been thought of as a top tier program in this conference because of how they've been the past years where they have been a top tier program. It's important that if they're going to slide down, it doesn't happen all at once. And it happens in conference, not out. And then they head to Temple to start their two two game road trip. Uh, so they head to Temple, and it feels like they always struggle with Temple, but Temple just seems like a team that's got a lot of work to do. So I'm not worried about this. I, I give Memphis the win here. The thing that's, that's going to be tougher is obviously the trip to Tulsa the next week, and I'm not sure – it really depends yeah. what their record is, obviously. So if they're if they're two and three at this point, I'm worried. Uh, but if they're three and two, four and one somehow, then I feel a little bit more optimistic about this because the biggest thing, if Allie Green and Caleb Evans did not transfer from Tulsa, then I would give Tulsa the win easily. Mm-hmm. However, you're going to have two new cornerbacks covering. Uh, Calvin Austin, who he just said is one of the best wide receivers in the conference. And there's the depth at receiver for Memphis that I think at this point, we're going to know if they're good at throwing the ball or not. And if they are, this could be a nightmare for Tulsa. Yeah. I think this is one of the most boring AAC games on the schedule, like preseason, one of those games that you'll you cross it out instead of circle it because Neither team necessarily is going to have a quarterback worth their salt. Yeah, Tulsa lost a lot of its key defensive players that made it great from last year. Both teams, uh, just in the core of who they are, want to run the ball, one of which last year was able to do that, another which kept with it even though they weren't really able to. I think this can be a really low scoring, like punch you in the mouth back and forth kind of slugfest where they get up to – it's gonna be like seventeen, thirteen kind of final. I do oh. lean Tulsa. I lean Tulsa though. Yeah, so and, that's, it's and be... I lean Tulsa because they're at home. Oh, yeah, I mean that's the only thing. It, it was at home. It, and yeah, I bet I'd this is like a Thursday it. night game too. But they move. It uh, it's listed as Saturday right now on the night. Uh, I bet they move so. it. So we'll see. The next game is a Thursday night game, though, which is the Navy game, and it feels like every time Navy and Memphis play, it's just like a struggle for Memphis. It is, yeah. It's not good. I mean, again, they should win this game. They should. They should. It just it, honestly it depends has this on way what of, Navy yeah. is this year. Yeah, but Navy has this way of randomly turning into a ten-win team when they've got no right to be. They have this way of randomly beating it's teams so that are true. significantly better than them. I don't think uh, anybody in the Navy program even knows like what to expect. Like I don't think Ken Niamatololo knows like, hey, yeah, this is a ten win team. He's just like, well, let's just put something out there and see what happens. And it works a lot of the time for him too. That's <laughs> not as much in the past couple seasons, but throughout his career as a coach at Navy, it's worked very well. Worked very, uh, very well. Yeah, if Navy finds a quarterback, uh oh for Memphis. But until they prove that they found a quarterback. Memphis should still beat Navy at home, even if recent history suggests that this is one of those games that makes Memphis fans absolutely want to claw their eyes out. Yep. Uh, and then we get into um, – we'll kind of go through this quick just because we're getting long on time here. Uh, but the, yeah, the last Daniel stretch – Daniel Obarski's revenge. Revenge game, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, 
You get a trip to UCF, which is not going to be pretty. It's on a Friday night on October 22nd. That just feels to me like UCF is ready to just blow the the doors open and just run all over Memphis. Oh, yeah. Uh, For those who don't know, Memphis beating UCF last year with like it was like a 21-point comeback. UCF missed a kick as time expired to win. It was 50 to 48, something crazy like that. That was the first time Memphis had ever beaten UCF when they were both Division One A or FBS schools. The only other time Memphis beat them was when it was a Division One A versus Division One Double A game, and it was very upsetting for a lot of people in the UCF like fandom in the program. Not just because they lost, but how they lost. It was one of those games that Hypel ruined it for us. He can't put together even a defense that can hold anyone under fifty a game. Yep. And there's a lot, lot of anger directed at Memphis, which whether that's fair or not, that's where a lot of anger about the Josh Heupel era is directed right now. Here's the thing. It, the, of all the Memphis teams that we've had in the – well, of the Memphis teams that we've had in the last four years, that is the team that deserves to beat UCF the least. Well, yeah, but that was also the UCF term that team that deserved to beat Memphis the least too. If True. we're getting into it. True. Like the 2018 Memphis team deserved to beat UCF twice and they just choked it away. Take it back. No one deserved to beat UCF in that AAC championship. Okay. The ten, okay. the, True. The okay. Tenhana game, no one else deserved. No, they absolutely choked in the Liberty Bowl in October of that year when that was like a 21 point comeback or something like that. Where oh my God. Like Daryl Henderson was running all over UCF and then UCF finally said, hey, you know what do happened? something else. Oh. I'll say this. In that 2018 season, Memphis lost every game they played in the rain. At about halftime, it started to downpour in Memphis, and they couldn't score again all game. And UCF UCF was not great offensively, but they were able to obviously win that game at the last second. There was the uh, fourth and one call where Josh Heupel called like a power run up the middle that went for 70 yards and a score. It was a great game. It was fun to watch, that's for sure, yeah. Uh, I agree that so that uh, I don't know how Memphis hangs. Maybe they figure out a way to shock everybody again, but the next two games are interesting to me because you have an SMU team that I think is going to be a contender this year. And then ECU who we just did a preview for. So if you have not listened to that, make sure you go back and listen to that. Both games are home for Memphis. I, I don't see them being SMU and it really depends on what ECU is honestly for me. Yeah, I, I don't give them a shot against SMU. Uh, maybe that's not fair. I don't think their defense stops SMU more than once or twice all game, and I don't know that they can just keep up with that. ECU is more interesting because ECU is the movable force on the defensive line. If Memphis wants to run the ball at them, that's the team to do it at because ECU can't stop it. Now, ECU's got some players in the secondary that might be able to put together a game against uh you know against the pieces that memphis has no one's going to completely shut down calvin austin those guys but i think ecu's strength is memphis's strength at least defensively and the weakness is memphis's weakness and i think that plays into memphis's hands frankly because they're still going to want to run the ball and i think they'll be able to actually get balance against them now the question is can they stop ecu well that depends on what holton Eller shows up 
Yeah, exactly. It's going to depend on, on the Pirates really more than anything. Uh, and then, that, you know, the next two games are also interesting to me. Uh, I'm not sure the last game is – well, so the next game is at Houston, and then the last game is against Tulane at home. And right now it says it can be played on Friday or Saturday. I thought everything was set in stone, but I don't know what's going on there. So I, I don't really care. But it, the Houston game to me is very interesting because – feels like Houston could be on the way up. Memphis could be on the way down. I, I don't really know. And it's at Houston. It's a rivalry game, and neither side really likes each other. So that will be yeah. one that's probably you flip a coin and that figure that yeah. out regardless of how good each team is. Yeah, honestly, both teams feel like they're designed in a pretty similar manner to me. You know, you've got some good skills players, some questions on the offensive line. You know at least what you're getting at quarterback at Houston, but there's kind of a cap on what that might be. And then defensively, there's athletes, but is there co- a cohesive unit? So I think that pretty much mirror image in a lot of ways. Yep, and then to finish the season, you play Tulane, who should be a lot better this year. So let's we'll do this because we're going to do this. And Tulane beat them pretty good last year too. Right. So what is the ceiling for this Memphis team? Eight and four. I think if everything breaks right there in eight and fourteen, and then what's so then here's what Memphis fans probably are going to hate. What's what's the floor? Five and seven. I want to say maybe four and eight though. I think you they know? could be four and eight. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think they could. No, I think they're going to be about six and six, seven and five. But I think there's a world where four and eight is not unheard of for this team. If they completely bomb out of conference then I don't know where they're finding their wins in conference. You know, they'll get Temple. They should get Navy. But if you can't beat Arkansas State and UTSA, who are good out-of-conference games, but they're not elite teams by any means in those conferences. It's not like they've got Louisiana and UAB on the schedule out-of-conference where you go, man, those are the top of their respective conferences. That No, those are mid-level teams still in their conference, even if there's signs of growth at UTSA, even if there's – well, we don't know about this or that at Arkansas State. You know, if you can't beat Arkansas State on the road, I don't believe you can go on the road and beat Tulsa, UCF, or Houston. I just don't. If you can't beat UTSA at home, why should I think you can beat SMU at home or Tulane at home? You know, it's just the wins get very hard to find in conference if you can't come out at least two and two there. Right. And I, I, the only argument I have with those, I guess, is the Houston Tulane games are just so far away from the UTS, UTSA and Arkansas State. And that could be a completely different Memphis team at that point. But yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Like you said, and yeah. Teams, players get injured, players grow. You put in a different guy, quarterback, and just starts to click. I, I don't get me wrong. I get that teams change. And that's why they set the line the week of. And preseason lines are only worth so much. But. Right. As of right now. And and like we we said, so Memphis fans were thinking that this episode is just just like crapping on Memphis. Like Grant Canel could very well be the answer. Maybe Peter Parrish is the answer too. And this offense gets back to what we're normally seeing. And then like that, to me, that is the biggest key because if this offense gets back to what they've normally been doing, then I mm-hmm. think the ceiling is higher than eight and four. However, the ceiling is the roof. Yeah. yeah, ceiling is the roof, man. The the roof is the yeah. You know, just yeah. Gosh, the, just, Mi- the Michael Jordan tweet. Or, yeah, it was Michael Jordan, right? Yeah, the, the ceiling is the roof. Okay, yeah, whatever, MJ. Well thought out. But yeah, I you know Memphis is I, I, the conference is better when Memphis is good. So I think we were 
Not saying that we want Memphis to be bad. We don't want anybody no. to be bad because no, I, I'd rather I like have good every, football. I'd rather a, every AAC team basically run the table out of conference. I really would. And then get to being there in conference games and then figure it out there. Yeah, exactly. But the reality is not everyone's. You know, the reality is, like I said earlier, you're on your third coaching change and a lot of times somewhere in there you get kind of a dud. And I don't know I mean, that's not like, everybody that's gets too early to save it. Yeah, it's too early to say that Silverfield's a dud, but I just don't think that the program's in a better spot than they were when they were going to the Cotton Bowl. You know, nope. that that's the simple reality is at the end of 2019, you're going to the Cotton Bowl, and at the start of 2021, there's questions about your ability to run the football and who the hell is your quarterback. Right, yep. And, and like we say every year, there are going to be teams that get better. Somebody has to get worse. It's just how it is. You can't, everybody can't get better because you play each other. And while it'd be great if the AAC goes undefeated in non-conference play, that still means that you're going to have teams that get better and get worse. And right now Memphis is just a team that gets worse to us because they, they have a new quarterback. They have a new coach. Their running game wasn't good. The defense returns a lot of guys, but it's not a great defense. So there's things that don't. At least I consider to be two of the three best players on defense anyways. Exactly. So it's, it's, a lot of unknowns right now, and you can and not project to mention you. Riley Patterson's gone too, which I know we don't often talk about special teams, but the kicker is important. He was a very he good kicker. He hit some bombs for them, so he was uh, yeah, a you're right. Very good kicker, and now you don't know. What if you can't kick past the 35 yard line now? Yep, that's a big that's a big thing. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, there are things that we like. I mean, Calvin Austin's really good. Sean Dykes is really good. Quindell Johnson is really good. Morris Joseph is really good. So there's a lot to like about this team. There, there's a lot to like about where they're headed. It just might be that there's a little bit of a road bump right now yeah. in 2021. That's not yeah, a bad no. thing. Everybody has one. And like Dan said, you're not always going to hire a home run. Like not everybody gets longevity and not everybody hires. They don't bat a thousand hiring coaches. No. That just isn't how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Look at you know, Houston went from Tom Herman to Major Applewhite. It really didn't work out. You know, UCF went from Scott Frost, who was excellent at UCF, say what you will about Nebraska, to Heupel, who saw them a steadily decline. You know, every, you can go across the whole conference. There's going to be, oh, look how good that coach was. And then the next one, Temple, they kept going pretty good coach, pretty good coach, Rod Carey, who, not saying he's going to fail overall there, but I don't see, same thing, I don't see where the success is coming from anytime soon. Rod Carey is going to give, they're giving him time to figure it out. Ryan Silverville to get time to figure it out. And it just is yeah. what it is, but. Yeah. You know, at, at Cincinnati, they had Tommy Tuberville in between Brian Kelly, Butch Jones, and now Luke Fickle. So you have, it's okay. You can bounce right. and Cincinnati showed you can bounce back if it is the worst. Right. Yeah. Yep, and I think with everything going on in college football, coaches are going to be given a little bit more time to figure things out. But Memphis yeah. is a team right now that just needs to figure things out. That just is what it is. But that is going to wrap it up for tonight. Uh, it, make sure you go back and listen to our other previews if you want to get an idea of where those teams are. We've already done Houston, ECU, and Cincinnati, I believe, if I miss anybody. That is how I think alphabetical order works. That is true, now that you've revealed our order, so people know what to anticipate oh. for next time. Uh, I believe Navy would be next if I did my alphabet correct. Yeah, I believe uh, we're on Navy. So that's going to be an interesting one. Stay tuned for that. Uh, if you're if you're not following us already, you can follow me at Joe Broback. You can follow Dan at Dan underscore Morrison 96. 
it's just a mouthful. You need to clean that up. But if people <laughs> want to follow Mr. Mouthful over there, then go ahead. The, uh, you need the underscore. You right, exactly. Uh, Memphis fans, don't hate us. We like you. We like your program. It's just right now, this is just what we think of you. Uh, Memphis is obviously makes the conference better when they're good. Hopefully we're wrong and they're a better team. But until now, we're going to stick with what we think. Yeah.